In this episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast, I'm joined by Mary-Kate Vaughn. Mary-Kate is an elite endurance athlete who really specializes in marathons at this point, or at least that's her goal is to get into marathon training and racing more. She's incredibly impressive, both physically and mentally, and I'm really excited to have her on. We're talking all about the mental side of sports and life and athletics and all the things that go into the mental wellness and cultivating the right mindset and how that can really make and break your success. We share a lot of personal insight and personal stories to help you connect what we've been through to your own story and journey. Before we get to the episode, quick word from one of our sponsors. Mary-Kate, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. Excited to chat today. So as you mentioned, this is kind of your first time on a podcast. So for those who aren't familiar with you and your journey, could you share a little bit about yourself? I'm originally from Ohio. Um, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And I grew up as a soccer player, but once I hit about seventh grade middle school, my mom actually made me start being a runner. She, she made me run cross country because she grew up as a runner and I was really against it, but um, she just said, go out for the practice for a few weeks, see how you like it. You know, I have a hunch that you'd be a good runner someday. So just do it for me and try it. I went out seventh grade um, cross country practice and went on one run with the boys team and was immediately hooked. I, I don't know why exactly, but it was something in me that was like, whoa, I actually really like this. And begrudgingly was like, my mom was right. Um, from there, my running journey has just kind of taken off. Um, I've been running since that moment in seventh grade and um, have been through you know some trials and tribulations, I'll call it, over the last 10 plus years of the sport. Um, you know, made it to a national championship my freshman year, um, mixed it up, was, was one of the top runners nationally in high school, set state records, won state championships, and then really came down with a big string of injuries that have hampered me for the last eight and a half plus years. Um, went through two pelvic stress fractures, some torn hamstrings, 13 total stress fractures and reactions between high school and college, um, which was, you know, has been quite the journey for me. So I went to Boston College in 2016. I ran cross country, indoor and outdoor track for the team all four years. Um, obviously we were cut short by COVID in 2020, which is when I graduated, but um, was a fantastic experience for me. But well, like I mentioned, just really riddled with injuries throughout my entire career in college. And then more recently graduated, took a little bit of a break from a sport forced by injury and didn't really think I would ever get back into doing it competitively because it had been so long. Um, but just kind of once I kind of felt good and my legs felt better and I was walking around, I was enjoying cycling and getting into some spinning. I decided to mix in some running into my routine and one thing led to another. And I started running consistently for about a year for the first time since middle school. And someone mentioned to me, one of my friends, she was like, you should race. I think you're in really good shape. And I was very against it. Um, I had, you know, a lot of trepidation just because of the injury history and competing hasn't been fun in years. But I kind of entered this marathon on a whim this past July and just did it to qualify for Boston. I wanted to run Boston with my mom, so I needed a qualifying race. And it went much better than I was expecting. Um, I was very fortunate to run a 245. And I realized I was doing that off of about 35 miles a week, no workouts, only running three to four days. And I thought, you know, if I, if I really put my heart into this, maybe I can actually be quite good again. And my dream kind of 
was revitalized. Um, and so more recently, I put some more time into training, did some long runs and decided to sign up for a second marathon, um, which I ran about two and a half weeks ago and went quite well. It's very fortunate to run a 238. And so um, over the last you know 11 plus years of running, I, I've really been through the peaks and valleys, the highs and lows, but things right now for me are on quite a good path um, in, in marathoning now. I would say so. That's really impressive. Wow. I don't know many people who could run the times you did on the uh, training load that you did. It's almost like this runs in your family or something. <laughs> something like that. My mom was quite a good runner herself. She, um, she ran and played tennis all through growing up middle school and high school. She actually set her school record for the mile. Um, and she ended up choosing to play tennis in college because it was easier and didn't require off-season training. Uh, but it definitely does. She's run many marathons since then. I'm actually staring right now at a newspaper article about my mom running a marathon. So she, she's been quite a good runner herself. That's amazing. And essentially, what I'm gathering from your journey is you're a incredibly gifted and accomplished young female runner who's worked hard despite a lot of different setbacks and trials and tribulations. Uh, I think you made the analogy there, hills and valleys. And it certainly seems like you've had a ton of valleys in there through stress fractures all the way up to your pelvis and hamstring injuries and all these different things that have hampered you. And it's really impressive to me that despite those setbacks and the obstacles that were put in your path, you continued to press forward. I feel like that speaks a lot about your overall character and the kind of person that you are. And facing obstacles and setbacks in athletics and, well, life in general, that's something that we all have to deal with in one way or another. So when you've been pushing through these things, like I said, it must have been difficult. What mental challenges were you facing with each setback? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a little bit different each time you go through it. And maybe I'll chunk things, right? Because you have the first couple injuries you've ever experienced as an athlete or even as a non-athlete, right? People are, it's, it's a traumatic experience. And with those come, I think, first off, a lot of heartbreak and fear, right? Like as an athlete, you care a lot about your sport and you're very invested in it. For many people, it's even like a stress reliever. It serves an alternative purpose rather than just being a sport in your life. And when you suddenly are hit with, you know, the fact that you can't do it for three weeks, four weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, you deal with a lot of heartbreak and you kind of lose your identity, right? You lose something that's big, a big chunk of your life. It also comes with a lot of fear too, um, which is hard to deal with mentally, right? Am I ever going to be able to run again? Am I ever going to be able to get back to where I was? Um, and that's kind of the initial challenge that I faced with my first few injuries was just like, how, how do I cope with this? What's my new identity now that I can't run for, you know, four months, six months? And am I ever going to be able to get back to competing at the level that I was at? And I think after that comes a, a wave of determination, though, at least did for me mentally, where it's like, okay, I've kind of moved past that stage of like, I don't know what to do. I'm really heartbroken. And now I'm, I'm going to put my mind to it and be like, what can I do? Is that PT exercises? Is that, um, you know, cross training in the, in the pool, aqua jogging for, you know, an hour, two hours a day. What can I do to get myself there? But then with that, obviously, you're not doing what you love. You're not able to run for me or you're not able to play soccer or swim if you're a swimmer. And so with that then comes, I think, as you progress through your injury, burnout. And it's very hard to deal with that mentally too, right? You're seeing your teammates who you love. You're seeing your friends out there doing what you want to be able to do. 
And instead you're stuck inside in, in a pool in the middle of winter, or, you know, even worse, you're stuck on a, on a table in the doctor's office, not being able to walk or do anything and on crutches. Um, and then with that comes a lot of exhaustion too, which is hard to deal with mentally. I think it's like mental and physical burnout, right? Like your body's trying to recover. You're trying to push it as fast as you can to get back. Um, and you're trying to stay mentally engaged, but it's just a struggle because, you know, you're missing that, that chunk of your life or that piece of you that you care so much about and invest so much in. And suddenly it's, it's just not there. Definitely. It makes me think back to a recent conversation I had with uh, Christina Hathaway. When you get injured, you're essentially taking yourself off the road that you were going down and making a you know sharp 90 degree turn and you're in the middle of say uh, a cornfield. It's rough, you have no idea where you're going, the road is bumpy and you've never been there before. And eventually as you drive through, you get out and the other side is kind of like, you know, your breath of fresh air, like, wow, we made it through that. You know, that was rough. But at first you have that initial shock and it can be uh, very traumatic, especially your first injury. Uh, I had a physical therapy clinical in Phoenix, Arizona this past summer. And one of the patients I had the pleasure of working with had her first injury. She had a traumatic uh, patella kneecap dislocation. And 95% of why she was there was psychological, mental, emotional fear. She just got hurt. It was very traumatic. And her body just kind of went into this emotional and physiological state of shock because of it. Physically, she was fine, but her mind didn't convince it. And just like you mentioned, it can be so difficult to overcome those mental blocks that you kind of subconsciously set for yourself after that first or second injury. Yeah, I love that analogy too with the cornfield. I think that that's exactly spot on. And, you know, the more it happens. So for me, I was in a string of injuries from freshman year of high school all the way up through senior year of college. I, I had at least one major injury a year. I just could not string together more than six months of consistent training. And as you go through that, then, you know, you have not only the mental mind blocks, but then also the questioning, right? Like, what am I doing here? It, should I really be trying to get back? Is this really worth it? You know, it, it's been eight years of this. Should I, should I continue down this road? Um, and so it, injuries are tough. They, they're super tough. They definitely are. But one thing, again, that really stands out to me is throughout that whole journey, you recognized your power. Uh, there's a quote I love from Marcus Aurelius. I really like the ancient Stoics. And he said, choose not to be harmed and you won't feel harmed. Don't feel harmed. And you haven't been. Despite these injuries and setbacks and things that would make most people give up and throw the towel in and say, enough, you made the conscious decision to continue to push forward and press onwards. And that really, again, it speaks volumes to your character, one, but two, that's the sort of story and overall uh, narrative that I think more people need to hear, uh, especially in today's day and age, right? There's all kinds of crazy things going on in the world and even sports. There's a lot of brokenness in sports world. And I feel like people need more stories like that of someone who's been in a similar situation before, who's had, you know, the brick wall built in front of them and has somehow pushed through and broken through that wall that was set in front of them. So, like I said, that must have been extremely difficult for you. 
and you've talked at length about how you pushed through it. Did you have any support or help along the way? Did you have any role models or coaches or people who really inspired you to keep moving forward? Yeah, I, I've been very fortunate to have quite a strong support circle um, and, and quite a constant support circle, honestly, since I picked up running in middle school. Um, very grateful with like great support structure at home from my family, um, as well as my mom's running group that she's run with. They've been some of my biggest supporters come out to races since I was back in junior high and I still run with them today, um, as well as a huge network of physical therapists, doctors at home. Out in Boston, it was my teammates, right? They, they were always there to lift me up and to make me laugh and, and to kind of give me that ounce of confidence that I didn't have in myself when I was injured. And then beyond that, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, people need an inspiration, right? They need to see that they're able to do it because when you're in the worst of it, it doesn't feel like you're going to be able to get back. It doesn't feel like you can run a mile, let alone you can run 26.2 miles. Um, and for me, it, it's unfortunately that Injuries are, are all too prevalent with athletes, but specifically young female athletes as well. Um, and so I, I had a lot of, of people that navigated through injuries and were able to come back successfully that I could look up to um, amongst the high school ranks. And then again, in college, specifically, one of my teammates has always been a huge inspiration and a great friend to me. Her name is Isabel. Um, she's dealt with a lot of hardship in life, but she actually had to do um, foot surgery. She fractured her navicular and watching her work so incredibly hard every day on that arm bike and then on the regular bike and she learned to swim and in the pool and to come back she was an NCAA caliber runner and she just worked incredibly hard to get back in shape and came back as one of the top girls on our team after a surgery and I've been fortunate to not actually need a surgery I've just had fractures that has been so inspirational to me um, as well as the more publicly known stories, right? Molly Seidel, most recently going on to win a medal at the Olympics after, you know, ages of injury, as well as um, eating disorders and, and other challenges. It's just, it's great to have those people to look up to and to learn from, because sometimes you hit a point where you don't believe that you can do it. But if you see someone else do it, it gives you that, that ounce of hope and that ounce of belief to keep going. Definitely. And you just mentioned, a whole different slew of great examples there. And that kind of speaks to the next point in overcoming an obstacle in your path. It starts with perception and owning yourself and controlling what you can control and not concerning yourself with what you can't. The next step would be action, right? As you just said, you have to take action. You gave the story of your friend, uh, teammate Isabel, who you literally witnessed take action to overcome a very debilitating injury, right? For people who don't know, fractures in the foot, whether it be a uh, navicular fracture or a Liz Frank fracture, right, at the MTP joint, um, those are very hard to come back from, but people do it. And in life, we're faced with this choice, every single one of us, uh, as Teddy Roosevelt says, we can either wear out or rust out. So we either use our bodies and push ourselves to the absolute limit where things start to break down, or we don't do anything and our bodies break down themselves. And I think that you and the people that you just mentioned make the choice to wear out, right? You take action, you use your uh, body and take action and push it to its absolute limit every single day, every single time. And sure, that action might look different at times, right? There's certainly a difference in intensity of using an arm bike or jumping into the pool for a first time 
as compared to running a marathon as fast as you can. Uh, but the important step there, or the important takeaway is that you're moving forward and you're fighting for a better life for yourself. And when you do that, you inspire all of those around you. And again, I think that's very powerful stuff. So what actions did you take along that kind of journey for yourself in order to uh, promote kind of that intrinsic mindset and intrinsic motivation? So it's helpful to have those outside influences like we just talked about, but what were you doing, Mary-Kate? Were you uh, practicing gratitude? Were you journaling? Were you doing any kind of mindfulness practice? What was it that helped you along in addition to all the amazing people that you were surrounded by? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think it's a few things, a few things in the moment and then a few things retroactively that then I applied to future injuries. I think the first of which was never giving up, right? And making sure that you're surrounded with people who don't make you want to give up because we all have positive and negative voices and influences in our life. And when you're in a moment of vulnerability, like when you're injured, it's all too easy to just kind of throw the towel on and give up, right? And kind of give up on the dream or give up on your training for the day or whatever. Um, and I, I'm very fortunate to be quite intrinsically driven. And I think being able to hold on to that, sure, there were days or even weeks when I was less motivated. And, and that happens to all of us. That's totally normal. But overall, if I look at the whole entire time span of my running career, I think that's a, that's a theme, resilience and not giving up and just driving myself. Maybe I didn't feel like getting in the pool that day or that week or even that month, but just going through the motions and making myself do it anyway, because I knew I was going to come out the other side better for it. And I was going to have that much more of a chance to accomplish my dreams and what I really wanted to accomplish. And that goes hand in hand with what I mentioned about the support system, right? You, you want to have the positive influences, the good voices in your ear, the people who are lifting you up and not the people who are detracting from you and saying, you know, you're so out of shape. You're never, you're never going to get there. Why are you even trying? Or just, Hey, why don't you just take a couple of weeks off? Because, you know, it doesn't matter anyway. You're not running really making sure that you have that network of support is crucial and that you're advocating for yourself too. I think that's the second biggest thing, right? And that's something I've had to learn over the years. It's been very challenging. It was challenging in high school because you're young. You don't really kind of know what you're doing. Your coaches know a lot more than you. And then it's challenging in college because of the institution and the way the athletic department is built, right? Like you don't have a whole lot of say when you're a scholarship runner and, hey, I actually, you know, want to take six months off because my body's broken and I need to cross train for three months and work back into things on my own accord. Oh, and by the way, you know, I want to see a sports psychologist or I need to get my nutrition in order to see a nutritionist or a physical therapist. And so that's something I've had to learn over the years, but I wish I could have learned that earlier in my life. And I would love for people to be able to hear this and, and learn it now for them is be your biggest advocate, <clears throat> whether it's with your training or um, getting support you need, whether that's going to therapy, you know, general therapy, or whether it's like a sports psychologist, if you're having a mind block, a mental block with to do with sports, go see a nutritionist. If you think your diet could need some help to fuel yourself, um, you know, go, go kind of be your advocate and draw those people into your network that you need because only you at the end of the day, really know what you need for yourself. Definitely. You brought up an amazing point there with the locus of control, right? Sometimes you're in a situation where you want to be in control of your health, your training, all these different things, but you might not be for extrinsic reasons, right? You mentioned scholarship, you mentioned being on a team and not having control over your training. What's that like as a athlete, both when you're healthy and fit and life is good 
and when you're um, injured or on the road to recovery, so to speak, when you feel like you don't have a full control over your situation? Yeah, great question. I personally, so obviously I can only speak to my own personal experience, but I have personally found it to be obviously much, much easier when I'm running healthy, right? If, if you're running healthy, you're competing well, you're having success, you're not really... You, the the way the institution is set up and the way, you know, maybe your coach is structuring training and this whole support system is set up is working for you. The, the tension starts to emerge, right? When you do run into those hardships, you run into those injuries or other hardships that are suddenly like preventing you from competing at the level that you want to compete at. And for me, at least injury becomes a very personal thing, right? In the optimal world, you can give your body time to, to relax, to rest and to recover. And then you can work your way back as your body feels it needs it. And that's something that just to be quite frank with you can't happen in, in most college environments, right? Like you're, you're on a team, you're there for, you know, four, maybe five in these days, six years. Um, the coach wants to get everything that he or she can out of you. And so it, there's not really that, that forgiveness or that flexibility to work back into things at your own pace. It's more of a, Hey, I need you to run in this meet in two months. You know, you need to start running ASAP, even though it's two weeks earlier than you probably should. And by the way, you need to be doing workouts in three weeks instead of actually taking time to build the base up. And so it, it gets very challenging. And, and I think that's, I've found a lot of success post-college because I've had that control back. Um, but that being said, if it was something that I had realized in the moment, it was something that I probably could have had a conversation about, right? Like, hey, you know, maybe we can individualize, but I just, it's hindsight is twenty twenty, And so in the moment, I didn't realize it was something that was lacking. And then once I had the ability to kind of train on my own pace and, and do what my body was telling me each day, I, I've been able to run consistently and find some more success. Great. Um, I'm glad you're able to find that success and do it on your own terms. What you just described uh, to me is one of the most frustrating pieces of running for a, a college or a team where your training is designed by a coach or a uh, strength coach or trainer or someone who has to work with large amounts of people is there's a lack of individualized approaches to training and there's a lack of knowledge that they get about you specifically because of that like you just uh, said at the start of this episode, right? You're able to run a 238, uh, 245 marathon time running like 35, 40 miles a week, which is insanely impressive. Uh, I don't even know if I could run 35 miles in a week's time uh, myself right now. Um, but what, what really frustrates me about the way we look at athletics here is that coaches are given so many athletes to work with and they can't tailor a training program to what each athlete needs. And every single athlete, whether, you know, whatever sport it is, has potential to get to their greatest point. Maybe not every athlete will be a world-class individual, uh, you know, running like two-hour marathons, but they can reach their uh, full genetic and personal potential but they can't do that without the proper coaching. And there's a lot of great coaches out there. Uh, and I don't mean to discredit any of them, but from my standpoint, it's frustrating when there's factors that coaches and trainers just don't look into. And I don't know if that's a lack of awareness 
of the role of certain things like total training volume, nutrition status, sleep, stress management, uh, with balancing things like classes, right? You're running in college. So balancing a course load with running, with life. Um, again, I don't know if it's a lack of awareness or just a lack of time, or I hope not, but a lack of interest to look into those things. Um, but it's just, uh, again, from the outsider perspective, I just keep asking myself, why aren't we uh, addressing these things and looking at athletes more holistically instead of just, you know, here's your training. It's the same as everyone else's, but go do it and you'll get better. Yeah, it's a great point, Dan. And it's something that I encountered, you know, throughout my college career as well as just those tensions of you know, there, there are many underlying factors to it, right? Resourcing also comes into play. And to be frank with you, unfortunately, cross country and track are not the best resource programs unless you're at some of the top programs in the country. Um, and there are some programs out there, right, where coaches give fantastic individualized training and individualized attention to athletes. But um, you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, coaches have too many athletes under their umbrella. They're not able to give kind of the amount of attention that they really need to be giving to these individuals, especially those that are maybe more injury prone or more prone to issues with their training and with their buildup. And, and so it's just very tough. And that's why I kind of mentioned, you need to be your own biggest advocate, right? And so um, I think if I had known that going through college, my journey maybe would have looked a little bit different. Um, but that's what I would really impress upon those who are college athletes or any athlete in kind of an, an structural program where they don't feel like they are exactly getting what they need and, and whatever they're getting is not working for them. Be your biggest advocate and, you know, try approaching it with your coach. And maybe if that doesn't go well, right, draw some other resources under your umbrella and help them help you navigate how to kind of get what you need. Because at the end of the day, the program isn't getting what it wants out of you if you're not performing at your best. But on the flip side of the coin, you can't perform at your best if you're not getting what you need. Certainly. Now, you keep mentioning take care of yourself and self-care. And uh, I like to use the analogy, right? You can't pour from an empty cup. So how does someone go about cultivating a positive mindset for running and taking care of themselves, right? Because it's something that's not easy for everyone. So some people, um, we just did a recording a few days ago with Christina Hathaway about body dysmorphia. Uh, and some people might say to themselves, you know, I have to run today, even though they know that they would perform better if they took a rest day or just kind of scaled things back a little bit, maybe did like a little shakeout run or something like that they feel the need to push themselves more and more and more. So how do people go about kind of watering the roots of a positive mindset? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it's something I've really had to learn. I feel like I've had a crash course in it really since I've been on my own too, since college the last two years, um, because I was, you just mentioned, right? who needs a rest day, but feels like they can't take it. They have to run or they have to be cross training to get better. Um, when what you really needed was a complete day off or something of the like. Um, and so it's been a bit of a learning experience for me. And I think what has helped me is shaping in my brain that whatever you're doing on that day is exactly what you're supposed to be doing and is helping you, right? So training isn't just going out and doing a 20 mile long run, right? Training can also be doing 60 minutes on the bike because your legs need a break. It can also be 
sitting on the couch and not doing anything because your body's totally destroyed following a workout. And that's what you need in that day to get yourself better. And so I think changing how I thought about activities that weren't running, first of all, so like cross training activities, like swimming or cycling or going on the elliptical or even strength training and doing exercises too, right? Like those, those things are all building blocks to get yourself where you want to go. And so I think shifting my mindset to like, from if I'm not running, I'm not getting better to, okay, there are many other things outside of running that I actually need to be doing to get better, even if that involves no exercise and not working out, um, has really helped me a lot view those days very differently. And instead of like being in a terrible mood on a day, I can't run. I actually have found myself enjoying those days too. Right. And kind of like, I enjoy them now just as much as running. I love the days that I can hop on my bike for 60 minutes or 90 minutes and, you know, kind of zone out, do my little workout and get off. And it's just something different. It's a change of pace and it helps me get better. And so reframing all those things in my mindset has been huge, but it, I'm not going to lie that that was not like a, a switch, right? Like it wasn't something that I just flipped. It has taken me 10 plus years to get to that point. And so I think like hopefully people hearing that from others and like seeing other athletes, like if you talk to any professional athlete, I'm sure they would say like the exact same thing to you. And so I, I hope like hearing it from other people can help those that struggle with that kind of realize like, Hey, you're not actually going to get worse. If you take a day off, you're not going to get worse. If you take a week off, like it, it's, it's what you need. Then like, that's what you should be doing. Right. Falling in love with the process, because if done correctly, the process can be relaxing, right? You fall in love with it. It eases your nerves. It's a escape from uh, the craziness of the world. It's your stress reliever. Uh, so it's certainly important to strengthen the process, fall in love with it, because there's no fear in trusting a well thought out process, right? If you do, if you do the right thing right now for you, then it's going to lead to better changes. And maybe the right thing for you right now is to get up, go outside and go on a 10 mile run. Maybe the right thing for you right now is to take a day off. Maybe the right thing for you right now is to eat a salad, uh, you know, a bunch of organic vegetables with some extra virgin olive oil, cold pressed, of course, and top it with some uh, wild berries. Maybe the right thing for you right now is to open up your freezer, grab a pint of ice cream and down the whole thing of Ben and Jerry's, right? So if you can trust in this process, it will lead to success. And that process looks differently for everyone. Like you said, what works for you might not work for someone else. And you only get there by experiences. You've had to go through a lot of uh, individual experiences, some good and some not so good, in order to really refine your own personal process. And that's something that everyone else is going to have to do to a certain extent, right? Uh, people can look at what works for you and think, oh, wow, that's great. I'm going to go do that exact same thing, right? You know, I'll run 35, 40 miles a week, jump on a bike for 60, 90 minutes when I need to. And, you know, it'll be great. I'll go out and I'll run a, you know, some three hour marathon. And then they go out and they run a four or five hour marathon. And maybe they scale up their training a little bit or incorporate more cross training or incorporate more interval training workouts. And all of a sudden it clicks for them, right? Everyone's process is different and you have to find out what that process is for you. Uh, and I think that's great advice that you just gave about really trusting in that process uh, throughout the entirety of your journey, whether it be in running or health and fitness or whatever sport or really whatever life endeavor you're doing. 
Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And it, it hits on something that's been big for me to learn as well, right? Learn from others, but don't compare to others. And I think that's something that um, has helped me mentally, right? Because we live in a world, especially with social media, right? Everyone's on Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Facebook, everything. We live in a world where it's very easy to compare yourself to others, whether that's a friend in a social setting, another athlete that you, you compete against or another teammate. It's very easy for us to kind of be like, oh, so-and-so is doing this. So I should also be doing this. I should also look like this. I should also train like this. And that's just going to get you into a world of hurt because like you said, no two people are the same. So I think my, a big mindset shift for me has been learn from others, right? See what others are doing, hear what they're saying, learn about their experiences. And then also if you experience something similar, you know, you're not alone and it's totally normal, but don't compare to others. Don't feel like you have to be doing what so-and-so on your team is doing because, you know, they run five seconds faster than you. So if you do that, it's going to get you there. Or, um, you know, don't be saying, you know, so-and-so eats this for dinner every night. So I need to eat this, even though I love this other thing instead. It's really running as an individualistic sport in that you need to be a little bit selfish and aware of what you personally need and you need to tailor to those needs. Um, and so I think, you know, learn from others, don't compare to others. For sure. You just brought up an amazing point about running being individual, yet for most of your life, you ran as part of a team. It wasn't until recently when you moved halfway across the country that you had to go at it alone. So how were you able to shift from, you know, running with your teammates for, I mean, your entire history of running really to all of a sudden, this is now a individual thing. This is you and you alone. Yeah, it, it was a shift that I struggled with at first. It was actually a return back to the way I trained in high school. Um, unfortunately, as, as many runners do in high school, you know, have to train alone when you kind of are, um, competing at a little bit different of a level than some of the other surrounding runners. And so I, it was a transition getting to, to Boston college and learning to train with the team, but I found I instantly fell in love with it. It was very hard. It was, it was actually a new mindset too, right? Like you're suddenly not running a track workout alone every single week. Um, you know, just trying to hit your own splits, right? You have, you know, 30 other girls in front of you pushing you and suddenly you're getting dropped off the back of the pack every week. Um, and so once I made that mindset shift at BC and kind of learned how to use people to help me um, rather than to be competitive with them all the time, my teammates became my best friends. And, and it was such a fantastic four years running with them. And so I found it quite lonely to switch back to training alone originally. Um, but I think some of that balanced out. I also work full-time. And so some of that balanced out as well, right? Like running suddenly became almost my, my respite, right? My solo time to kind of decompress and just get out there, be alone, no phone, no people, um, nothing like that. And then the whole rest of the day became filled with people. And so I think that helped me navigate the transition a little bit better. And I do have a few training partners in Denver. Some of my friends from work as well as um, back from college, we, we tend to link up when we can. So that definitely helps me get through some of the tough runs. That's always helpful to have that support ne network around you. Uh, now, how about when you're running a race, right? So in college, for example, say you're running on a team, you know, you might bunch up and form a little pack with your team and you all kind of run together and you're kind of mentally pushing one another like, hey, you got this, you know, I'm right here with you. And then when you go out and toe the line at a marathon, for example, you know, you might look around you and you might not recognize anyone around you. 
And then you get out there, right? You know, 10 miles in, 15 miles in. At that point, you know, your legs are burning, your heart's racing, and it's got to be difficult to continue pushing forward. Um, I have never run a marathon myself, so I can't really relate to that. Uh, but I imagine it's very mentally challenging uh, as much or if not more mentally challenging than it is physically. So how do you cultivate that right mindset when you're in the middle of the race and not just before the race? Yeah, you, I think it boils down to three things, being comfortable, being confident and you and your training and what you're trying to do, but also having a race plan, right, that you're going to execute on. And I think those three things combine to keep you laser focused on what you want to get done. And so by being comfortable, I mean, be comfortable with the work that you did building into this, right? Be comfortable with where you're at in your training or in your you know, running life cycle. Be realistic about what you can run, um, but really just like take comfort in that you've already done the work, right? Now it's just, it's the fun part. It's time to execute. So thing two is be confident. So whether that means in my first marathon, it was, it was quite small. Actually, I ran alone the whole time and like, I could have freaked out, right. I hadn't done any long runs. I hadn't done any training and I had never run a marathon and I could have freaked out and been like, Oh my goodness, I'm alone. I should slow down and wait for people to catch up to me because I can't run 26 miles alone. But instead I kind of tried to reframe some of that initial panic in my head and be like, Hey, you know, all of my friends are saying I'm in really good shape. And, and I think I actually am in really good shape. So, um, okay. Yes, I'm alone. That's kind of not that fun to run for two and a half hours alone, but like, that's, that's cool. Like let's take in this experience and be confident in what I've done leading up to this. And then having a race plan really came into play, play with me this past marathon. This was my first large race. I ran there were like nine or 10,000 people. I've never, ever been in a race of that size before. And so I had people around me the whole entire way. Obviously I didn't know a soul, but the running community is really friendly. And so everyone is there to kind of support you. People like to link up on the roads and you'll say like, you'll turn to someone and be like, Hey, what pace are you trying to run? Okay, cool. That sounds good. I'll go with you. Or, Oh, that's too fast. I should slow down and like, let me find some other random person on the street. But underlying that is it's a long race, right? Marathon is, is a long time to be running. You need to have a race plan that you're confident in so that you don't get either sucked into going way too fast at the start or starting way too slow, right? So that you can find that pack to run with. And so coming in with, with kind of a, a well thought out race plan in your head, whether that's splits or how you want to feel at a given point in a race, that definitely helps navigate some of that so that you actually don't really care as much, whether you're alone or with people, you know what you're supposed to be doing. Definitely. I cannot echo the importance of having a goal, a well thought out plan uh, in order to be successful at whatever you're trying to do. I can't echo that enough. Um, and that, again, it carries over to pretty much everything, not just running, but life in general or any kind of sport. You have to have some kind of goal that you're working towards. And if you don't have a sense of direction, then you'll just kind of find yourself blindly chasing uh, wh whatever comes in front of you. Like you said, with running, if you don't have a plan, you might go out way too hard. And then uh, I, I think they used to call it like dying. It's a terrible term in my opinion, but they'll be like, yeah, you know, I died like five miles into the race. And basically it means they just slowed down and they couldn't keep up with that pace anymore. Or maybe like you said, you start out too slow and you start out very comfortable, right? You know, it's it's not difficult for an elite runner such as yourself to go out and run a mile at like a 10 minute pace. Um, but that's not what is going to lead you to the success that you want. 
you know, when a when a great ship is in harbor and moored, it's safe. But that's not what a great ship is built for. It's built to go out and ride the waves. And if you don't know how to ride the waves, then you teach yourself how to surf in the process. Um, and I think that's just overall great advice for having a plan of attack and sticking to that plan overall. And again, that applies to so much more than just running. I know this is kind of the running special here, but it applies to pretty much everything we do in life in general. Yeah, it does. And, and I think just to nuance the goal thing too, not just having one goal, which is what I thought for many years, right? I had a goal, right? I want it. Originally, when I started running, I wanted to be the first person to win um, all four state cross country championships in the state of Ohio. Obviously that goal blew up because I got injured and I didn't happen to win one again after freshman year, but I thought I had to have like one goal, right? And that one goal is what I was driving towards. And as what I've learned over the years through injury and stuff like that is that life throws weird things in your way, right? Whether it's athletics or whether it's outside of the world of athletics, life just throws crazy twists and turns at you. And so, yeah, sure. You can have a big goal that you're working towards. Like for me right now, it's to qualify for the Olympic trials, but it's important that you a are flexible on those goals, but B have little goals along the way. And they don't necessarily need to be all about the same thing, right? It's not like, Oh, I want to run a half marathon at X pace because that will then translate to me hitting this goal. Like one of my huge goals right now is to continue to stay healthy has nothing to do with performance or times. It's just to continue to stay injury free. And so having other goals that you can be flexible and work towards, whether it's in your work life and your social life um, or in your athletic life, I think is something that helps all of us navigate some of those twists and turns and things that um, get thrown at you along the way. Definitely. Now we're kind of talking about goals right now. And as we're recording this, we're coming up on New Year's. Uh, we'll be releasing this well after that point. But when it comes to New Year's, uh, I'll just say it bluntly. A lot of people really suck at achieving their goals and setting their goals. I think the stat was like 80% of people fall off the train uh, in achieving their New Year's resolutions within the first month. So how is it that people could not suck at achieving their goals? Do you have any strategies that you use to uh, make sure that you're successful in things? Yeah, it's something I'm thinking about too, right? Like, I've learned over the years to kind of set achievable goals. And I was actually just looking at what I had said that I wanted to do in 2021 um, and just kind of was seeing how I stacked up against those things. And I've been there too, right? We all have, we set goals going into the new year. We start January one bung ho. We're like, okay, we have these goals. We're going to do it. And we do it for a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks if we're lucky and they fall by the wayside. And I think some of that is we're trying to bite off too much of the cookie, right? We're setting this huge overarching goal. And then when it seems like you're not making any progress towards there because the goal can't be accomplished in three weeks, we give up, we get demoralized. And so <clears throat> I think it's thinking about your goals and kind of like I was saying, charting out a pathway there, right? Maybe you have this huge goal that you wanna achieve by next December, but instead of just having that as your new year's resolution, set some intermediary steps, right? Like what do you want to have accomplished at the end of January? Break it into bite-sized chunks. And then that way, you can actually measure yourself against your goal and see your progress as you're going on rather than kind of spinning your wheels for a couple of weeks, feeling like you're not getting there and giving up. And then also making those goals compatible with your lifestyle or make the goal to change your lifestyle to fit where you want to be, right? Like if you've never run a step in your life, it's not a realistic goal to be like, oh, in three months, I want to run a three hour marathon, right? 
Um, and, and maybe you're not a runner at all. Like that's just not a realistic goal. Like for me, it would not be a realistic goal that, you know, I suddenly want to win a triathlon, right? I don't, I don't swim and I don't bike. Um, and so being realistic about it. And if you want to go and, and try something new and get into it, that's awesome. But, you know, think about beforehand, what type of little lifestyle tweaks you're going to want to make and make those sustainable. Because a lot of us, you know, make those very quick changes come the start of the new year. We're like, oh, I'm going to give myself a lifestyle overhaul, right? I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to, I don't know, go vegan, eat all organic. And like, also I'm going to work out for two hours every day when like you don't work out at all. And it's just too much. So make it sustainable and make it fun for yourself. And understand that every action that you take, every decision you make has a sort of like a base rate that is associated with some kind of outcome, whether it be good or bad, right? So the more that you uh, smoke, the higher your rate of lung cancer will be. The more that you drink, the higher your rate of uh, liver failure will be. The more time you spend uh, scrolling on social media, the higher your risk of depression or anxiety is. So by that same token, the more time you spend uh, practicing a skill or a physical thing like exercise, the better your chances of success in that thing are. So understanding that every action you do has a purpose, whether it's what you intend it to be and it supports your goals or unintentional and it hinders your goals. And when you begin to understand that when every action has a purpose, every action will have a result. Uh, so really grabbing the bull by the horns with that. And one of the ways that I like to help people do that when I'm working with clients is answer a few basic questions. Uh, and it's kind of first grade level stuff here, right? In first grade, they teach you to ask questions. What, when, where, if, then, how, who, why, those sort of things. And if you can ask yourself those questions and answer them, you can really set an effective goal. So what do you want to do? When do you want to do it? Where is it going to take place? So maybe your goal is, you know, during the next week, I'll partake in at least 30 minutes of exercise on Monday at 5 a.m. at my home gym or at the Planet Fitness or at the commercial gym or whatever it is, right? So you addressed what you're going to do, you addressed when you're going to do it, and you addressed where you're going to do it. And that formulates your initial goal. From there, you can get into the more advanced stuff. I call it the if-thens. So if this happens, then what will you do? It's almost like a pre-mortem, right? What would cause your idea to fall apart? What would cause your idea to fail? So if this happens, then you do that. If this happens, then you do that. So maybe you set your goal to uh, get to the gym and start working out by 5 a.m. Well, if you sleep in until 5.30, what's your plan? So then you write out, if I sleep in until 5.30, then I will do X, Y, and Z at home or whatever. Um, so building in those contingency plans for when things don't go according to plan. Because as we said earlier, life throws curveballs at you and you don't always know what you're going to do uh, when that happens. But if you can build in that pre-mortem, that you know, initial plan to um, overcome those obstacles that kind of sneak their way in, you are significantly more likely to be successful. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks that you want to share with people about your journey, cultivating a positive mindset? and setting and achieving goals. 
Yeah, and maybe I'll start with that last one just to piggyback off of the, the goal conversation, right? So uh, another important thing I think <clears throat> when setting goals is realizing you're going to fail, but also being kind to yourself. Um, you know, there, there are too many of us out there who are perfectionists, right? And it's kind of an all or nothing mindset. And I've struggled with that for years, to be honest with you, right? Like I- I'm either totally in it or totally out of it because like, sometimes we feel like, oh, well, you know, we skipped this, you know, everything's going to unravel, right? Like might as well just throw in the towel. Um, and so learning to be kind with yourself, right? Maybe, maybe you wake up sick one day and, and you have to miss one of your scheduled, you know, 30 minute workouts that you had set as your new year's resolution. And like, that's okay, right? Get back on the horse tomorrow. Don't don't just throw the towel in and be like, oh, I already missed it this week. I might as well skip everything else and beat yourself up over it. And I think that that applies not only to goals, but to everything in general, right? Like life, athletics, everything in general is be kind to yourself and, and don't beat yourself up. It's a little bit of a learning process, but like things are going to ebb and flow and, and you're going to miss things and you're going to fail at things. But like, don't be kind to yourself because you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that much. Right. And so life goes on. Um, I think the other big thing is, is remember why you're doing whatever it is you're doing, right. If you're playing basketball, you're playing hockey, you're, you're running, you're working. Remember it is like why you started to do that and try and keep that, that fun in it and that passion for it. Um, that's been huge. And, and that will take you through the good times and the bad times too, right? For me, that's that's what's gotten me through injury is that at the end of the day, I really love to run. It's not the success. Um, it, it, it could not have been the success that driven me or else I wouldn't have stuck with it. I haven't run a PR in eight and a half years. So like, it can't be the success that drives you or anything like that. Um, it's just like, remember why you inherently love whatever it is you're doing and try and capture that and, and keep that feeling every time you do it. And then I think, you know, the last thing is really just, as we talked about earlier, advocate for yourself and be resilient and don't give up, right? Be your own biggest cheerleader. And it's going to be tough to do at times. And there are going to be the naysayers out there and the voices in the room that tell you to quit or that you shouldn't do it. But being, being your own biggest advocate and being confident in yourself and, you know, resilient in your goals is that will, that's what will take you pretty far in life. Definitely. Great advice and great takeaways, Mary Kate. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, for giving us uh, about an hour of your time. I really enjoyed having you on, and I'm sure our listeners really appreciate your stories. Uh, For those who want to keep in touch with you or follow what you're doing, where can people find you? Yeah, great question, Dan. Um, You can find me on Instagram, um, at Mary Kate Vaughn is just my handle, or on TikTok as well. I like to share a lot of my like day-to-day routines on TikTok. Um, I get a lot of people DMing me with questions. So love to kind of answer any questions about running athletics or life in general and kind of help as many people out as I can on TikTok at MK Vaughn. Awesome. We'll drop those in the uh, show notes below too. Uh, Mary Kate, thank you again. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Really appreciate you tuning in and listening. We'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast. That way you don't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes. We'd also really appreciate it if you give us a follow on social media. You can find us at Brawn Potty. And please share this episode with a friend who you think would benefit from hearing the stuff that we shared in today's episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon.